Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to Grace to All with Paul Gray. And what an exciting time for me today. I I get to meet in person, or at least we can see each other and hear each other. We've responded to each other online for several years. And I'm talking about my friend Ron Wright who identifies himself as the ontological mystic. And if you know what that means, please let me know. But Ron's (laughs) going to tell us what it means. I've got a pretty good idea. Ron was born and raised in a small farming community in Ontario, Canada. He had a deep spiritual interest and aspirations as a young teenager. And uh, he says even as a child, he felt and sensed a presence with a capital P with him all the time, comforting and watching over him. And I can relate. I did Ron says at age 18, he had a personal encounter with Christ that changed the direction of his life. He had plans to be a wildlife biologist, but he turned towards seminary after this awakening experience. He was ordained to the Christian ministry at 23 years of age. He beat me by about 20 years with the (laughs) Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, pastored for 28 years throughout the southwestern Ontario area in seven different churches, and is a wife and three kids, two boys and a girl, four grandchildren. His oldest son is a pastor at an Alliance Church in Ingersoll, Ontario. In 2009, Ron left the ministry to work in a to me is just a really exciting and meaningful career to to work in social housing providing safe and affordable housing to low-income families and today he writes and speaks on spiritual matters helping people to navigate their inner search for a deeper and more fulfilling experience with god and he labels himself as an ontological mystic helping people find the reality of god's life within their own spirit And having said that, I want you to get to meet my friend now, Ron Wright. Ron, thanks for being with us. Thank you so much, Paul, for having me here. I'm really delighted to be here and share with your audience. I'm delighted to have you with us. And as we always do to start our podcast, I want to ask you to tell folks how your understanding of God's unconditional love and grace for all people, how that's changed your relationships, family, friends, people you meet in the store or wherever, people you meet in your work with housing situations. How's that changed where the rubber hits the road? One of the things about God's love is it's all inclusive. I mean, it includes everybody. Not only does it include everybody, but everybody in every condition. Mm. And that's the thing about grace. It's reaching down into our darkness, reaching down into our mistakes, reaching down into our humanity right, to lift it up. And one of the things that I, in this walk of grace that has gone really deep in my life, is the dualism of self and other has disappeared, where there's just Mm -hmm. a sense of one life being lived through all people everywhere. Mm -hmm. And it really makes you connect with people on on a deep level, on a sincere level, too. And I think that's the key, is the sincerity that you feel in connection with other people. Mm -hmm. Everyone is within God's embrace. Everybody is within 
God's care, God's life. And uh, so it puts us all in the same family. So you're telling us there's no separation. There's no separation. <laughs> that has been done with. It's gone. <laughs> uh, the, the phrase that I'm hearing from the Lord every day, and I have been for a few weeks now, is living as one. And of course, th- wow. that, that can mean so much. It's like grace and unconditional love. It's like yeah. a diamond with many facets. You look at it one way and another yeah. way. And, but uh, living as one, I mean, us with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, us with each other, us yeah. with everybody, even those who look different, act different, you know, whatever. Yeah. It changes everything, doesn't it? It really does. It changes your whole perspective on life, you know, and it makes you immediately a compassionate person. You know, it puts you on the same plane with everybody else. There's no one higher or lower. Everybody here is within that same embrace of God's love. And so yeah. gen- love becomes genuine. When love becomes genuine, you begin to want to understand people. You know, the judgment is gone. The need to criticize is gone. There's just this open heartedness of wanting to really understand people. And when you understand people, you can't help but love them, right? You start touching those things in them that's from God and you experience it in your own life. Love becomes pretty automatic. Yeah, it's amazing. I had a mentor for a long time, wonderful guy. He's passed away several years ago, but he came from a much more regimented legalistic um, exactly. as um, many of us did yeah, yeah. and uh, and yeah, boy, yeah. boy he, he he was with the navigators which is a good organization and they're, they're all about scripture yeah. memory and uh, I yep. spent every Tuesday morning with him for about 20 years but man he knew scripture and uh, he told me one time he said you know he said a guy said to me one time he said you really know the Bible but I don't think you have an ounce of compassion and he, and he felt you know he felt genuinely bad about that and, and he, he yeah. kind of opened up to me and yeah. he said I want to be compassionate and I try to be compassionate but I guess that's just not in my makeup well yeah, yeah. <laughs> well once you understand God's love for everyone and his grace for everyone it becomes part of your makeup. <laughs> Absolutely. It is your makeup. Yeah. It's one of the reasons why in this new journey in my life, I've been doing a lot of writing and uh, sharing with people. And I used to be a pastor for a long time, and that was kind of my identity. In this new phase of my life, I was trying to figure out, well, what am I? What am I about? What is my ministry about? And I label myself an ontological mystic because ontology is the study of being who and what we are at the deepest essence of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And if you do some sincere investigation, what you come to find out is your deepest being is within God's deepest being, and there's no separation. This is the greatest ontology, Mm -hmm. right? So compassion, as you were just saying, it really is a part of our genuine nature. Mm -hmm. It's not something that we have to get from the outside. It's not necessarily something that we have to figure out. It's already within it. It's a matter of touching it. Yeah. It's a matter of getting in and touching our deepest being and realizing that God's face is shining back there. Mm. So that's the beauty, right? The beauty yeah. of our true nature. It is clear. It's full of wisdom. It's full of compassion. It's not something that we have to figure out. It's something that we have to develop. It's just, it's there. It's a matter of touching it by faith. And well said. And that's true of everyone, whether they know it or not. And we have the privilege of partnering with Jesus and helping them see what's already true about them. <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. I mean, everyone's biggest enemy is their own mind. It right? is. 
And the only separation between us and that love that God has is really just in our own mind, our, our ego's sense of separation. Yeah. And uh, when that gets worn down and put aside, we automatically sense God's love yeah. and our connection there with I don't know if you're old enough to remember the old Pogo comic strip, but, you know, he said, we've met the enemy and it's us. It's a, yeah, yeah, and it is. Right. It, it is a, it's our mindset. Yeah. So tell me your story. How did this understanding come about with you? You had a relationship with God since you were 18? Yeah. Probably, yeah. yeah. As, ever since I was a young kid, I don't know why, but I always struggled with those big questions. Who am I? Where did I come from? What's the meaning and purpose of life? I don't, I don't know why at nine years old I was thinking these things, but I was. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I was 14 and 15, this insatiable appetite for spiritual reality gripped me so strongly. I would go to the library after school. I, I think I read in that little library in my small town of Exeter, wrote, read every book on religion and philosophy and metaphysics I could find, mm -hmm. trying to find those answers. I didn't have the privilege of growing up in a Christian home. So the orientation of Christianity just wasn't there as a part of my upbringing. I didn't know where else to turn except to go to the library and search these things. One day, though, I was 18 years old, and I was still reading. I had read uh, teachings of, of Buddha, and I had studied Hinduism and Zen and everything I could get my hands on. And uh, when it came to Christianity, I didn't know where to start. So I remember getting confirmed in the United Church when I was a little kid, and I thought, I think there's a Bible in my closet. I'm going to go see if I can find it. So I dug through my closet, and there was this Bible that I got when I was 12 years old and confirmed in the United Church. And I had never read it, so I took off the dust, and I opened it. And I, I opened it up to the Beatitudes in Matthew, and I started to read. And it's hard to describe in words what happened, but as I was reading, the white in the pages of the Bible began to move, and it became translucent. And it's the, that light lifted off the page and stood at the head of my bed. And my room was filled with this presence that was so overwhelmingly loving. And for the first time in my life, I felt clean and pure. And I had a really spiritual response to this. I threw my Bible up in the air and ran out of my room. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't handle this. It was just too pure. It was too loving. And there was no word spoken. There wasn't an image I saw other than this light that was there, but I knew there was something invading my life with in tremendous acceptance and love. So I ran out and uh, my mother was washing dishes in the kitchen and she turned around and looked at me and she said, what's wrong with you? You look like you've seen a ghost. I thought it was probably true, but, but this presence in my room was, there was so much life so much life. So I went back into my room, braved the return to this encounter. I picked up my Bible and the same experience happened again. Really? Yeah. This time, though, I surrendered to it. There was no words spoken. I didn't hear a voice. I didn't see a form. But there was this light in my bedroom that was so overwhelming and so powerful. And I just, without saying it, 
there was just this, yes, whatever this is, whoever you are, whatever this is about, I say yes. And it kind of hit me that I had read about the Buddha, Confucius, all of these various people, but none of them came into my bedroom. They were all dead and gone. But this person, <laughs> this, this being was in my room alive with a life that was beyond life. So that was the encounter. And I don't know how much longer, I think it was about 15, 20 minutes. I just sat there and eventually that light disappeared. I woke up the next day to go to school. I was in grade 13, finishing up my senior year in high school. And I think I floated to school that day. <laughs> Everything was different. The, the colors were brighter. The, the air was more pure. Everything was filled with light. Everywhere I looked was radiating with light. Cats, dogs, a blade of grass, the leaves on the tree. And I basked in that for about a week of just not, I didn't talk to anybody. I, I was unable to speak, actually. And that outward shining of light and presence slowly moved and felt like it was inside of my heart. Wow. And that was my encounter. And then I struggled with what happened to me. I, I tried to talk to some people who I knew were Christians and they kind of said, well, you got saved, you got born again, you had this experience. And uh, so that began my journey into, into Christianity. I, I really met the Lord prior to any Christian experience. And um, it was this overwhelming presence that changed my life and brought me in. From that moment on, I knew that love was at the very core of this reality because I experienced it firsthand. From there, I, I took a redirection. I was going to be a wildlife biologist. I went to seminary, went to Bible college, and uh, headed into ministry. So that was kind of my story. What a story. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it is. Uh, you know, even talking about it now, I, I can still uh, sense the reality of that, that uh, experience that I had. What was amazing to me in all of that is when uh, I told my mother what had happened to me and that I wanted to go into Christian ministry, she started, she started to cry and she said, I always knew this day was coming. And I said, well, what do you mean? She said, when you were born, and she told me about my birth, she had never told me about this before, but apparently a month before I was born, all fetal movement in my mother's womb had stopped. They went, she went to the hospital. They said, we think your child is dead. We can't get a heartbeat. So when I was born, the doctors took me away from my mother, seeing that I was alive. They didn't tell her. She thought she had given birth to a, a dead baby. Really? I'm very much alive. They come back into her room hours later after, you know, testing, making sure I, I was normal because the scans had shown that I had a double spine, that there was physical problems and uh, possible mental problems. Of course, my brothers still think that today. But <laughs> they, um, when I was a normal baby, baby boy, they came in and told my mother this. And uh, she had had a dream the night before that I was to be called Paul. And so when they had no name for me because I was supposed to be dead, they called me Ron. And then my middle name is Stuart. But my mother spoke up and said, you have to call him Paul. And my dad looked at my mother and said, well, what do you mean, Paul? And she said, what she thought in her mind is the only thing she could remember from the Bible was the Apostle Paul. And that I was to have some sort of ministry to share God like the Apostle Paul did. So anyways, my name is Ronald Stuart Paul. Right. Really? <laughs> so, yeah. So I had no idea of this story until this experience happened. And my mother told me that. And 
then I realized, you know, this was obviously a predetermined uh, path for my life even before I knew it. Man, what a story. Yeah, I know. Going back to the scripture coming off the page and appearing before you, have you read Baxter Kruger's book, Patmos? No, I haven't. I've read a lot of Baxter's books. He's a, he's great, uh, but that's one I haven't got to yet. I think that's his latest one. And a fictitious character who is actually Baxter goes back to the island of Patmos 2,000 years ago and spends some time with John in this cave where he wrote the book of Revelation. And when he shows him, he wrote it on the wall, you know, in yeah, the story. Yeah. And when he looks at any given part of it, it does that. It, it sort of comes alive, lifts off the wall. Uh, it's it's translucent oh, and uh, very much yes, reminded yes. me of what you said. Yeah, that's exactly what I experienced. And and I, I had no orientation for that. Like I had no language. I, I, I didn't hear anything about scripture or spiritual things except the things that I had read. There was no frame of reference for this experience. And, uh, but it was, it was something very powerful and genuine and and really altered uh, the direction of my life. So when you went to seminary, I want to be careful what I say here. I've known people who've had mystical experiences and gone to seminary and been talked out of them. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah. Bible uh, seminary was a bit of a difficult thread for me because I certainly was, I felt, I always say, I felt like David in Saul's armor. When uh, David went out to fight Goliath and Saul said, here, put my armor on because you're just a kid. You don't know what you're doing. And David, of course, put on this armor made for Saul and couldn't walk around and said, I can't do this. And he went and faced Goliath in his own way. I always felt in ministry in a particular denomination that I was in, like David in Saul's armor. It never really fit for me. It was the only path at that time that I knew, but being in, in seminary, Certainly my mystical background, that seems to be where a lot of my reading and my heart and my language is, is among the mystics. Yeah. I understand that language of love. I understand that language of the heart, a personal one-on-one experience. Yeah, seminary was not really the place that that was aided by any means, mm-hmm. but I, I needed the theological training that I got in seminary. One of the complaints against mystics is that It's all about experience, and they don't really have a rational background to define what is happening, or their theology is very experience-oriented. But I always say a good mystic is engaged both in the heart and the mind. We bring both of those into the depths of our lives, and you need both. You need the depths and the compassion of the heart, but you also need the boundaries of the mind to help you navigate such a mystical place as our spirit. I mean, none of us grow up or are educated on how to live in our spirit. We learn that one-on-one with God. We have to learn that through direct experience. And none of us have got the signposts or the roadmap on how to navigate in this mystical, invisible place. But love helps us to get there. And having a a, a mind well-educated and sound in doctrine helps you navigate that as well. It does indeed. And I would agree with everything that you said. I won't say but, I'll say and. I've been learning at this stage in my journey that experience always trumps intellect. If you've had an experience like you did and experiences I've had, 
Nobody can talk you out of those. Yep. Somebody can give you their denomination statement <laughs> no, of faith, no. which says, well, this can't happen. <laughs> and and you, you can't be talked out of it because it happened. <laughs> right. <laughs> it happened to you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I think that's it. You know, the, the heart is much wiser than the mind. I always say that the mind makes a great servant, but a terrible master. And when the heart can be the master and the mind can be the servant of the heart, you've got a good way to go there. Yeah. I used to say, well, I've got it up here, but I need to get it down to here. It's just the opposite. I've got it down here. Now I want to get it down here. <laughs> up to here. Right. <laughs> I heard some great teaching recently. I'm pretty sure this was by Brian Simmons, but I'm not sure. But he, he talked about when David, you mentioned David before in Saul's armor, when David killed Goliath, the stone hit him in the head mm-hmm. where the mind is, and then he cut off his head mm-hmm. and buried it. He actually buried it. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't aware of this. He buried it at the uh, place of the skull at Golgotha. Oh, and then when Golgotha. Jesus wow. was crucified That's... there, it was like a picture of defeating mm-hmm. the mind. The mind, yes. It's really profound. And, and that's, you know, what Ephesians says is we become enemies to God in our mind. Yeah. The heart has never been an enemy. No. But the mind has. Yeah. And that is where we need the love to break through, to break down the concepts and yeah. ideas and the boundaries that keep us separated from God and from one another. Yeah. Ron, our time is almost up. And this has gone by quicker than I think any interview I've ever done. So I hope we can do another one <laughs> and talk some more, well, about what we've been talking about, but talking about your yeah, uh, yeah, your yeah. work with housing and, and all of those things too. So I want to ask you to tell people how they yeah. can get in touch with you, how they can see your writing and things. We'll close this up. Then we'll do another interview, which we'll post actually a week later. So tell us how the people can get in touch with you. So I'm on Facebook and Instagram. So you can look me up, Ron Wright, on Facebook or in Instagram, it's soulwind12. On Facebook, I have a particular blog. It's called just soulwind. So if you look that up, you can access a lot of my writings and stuff. I'm I'm working on a book. I'm hoping to have it done by the end of this year. Just a a conglomeration of all of my writings and putting it together. And we'll see where that goes. Oh, Um, good. Yeah. Or you can can even email me at uh, soulwind at live.ca and be happy to dialogue with anybody interested in spiritual matters. Wow, that's great. Well, we'll come back and do another one in just a little bit. And thanks so much again, Ron, for being with us. Thanks for everybody listening. Uh, Thanks for being with us for another episode of Grace to All with Paul Gray. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.